In today's episode of Board Game Impact, Josh and I are going to talk about the games we've been playing virtually with each other. So stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Board Game Impact. We hope that you're doing well. Of course, this is Bruce, and I'm joined by... This is Josh. And like I said, we hope you're doing great out there. Um, So if you are a new listener, welcome. So here at Board Game Impact, we're combining our passion for education um, and our passion for this amazing hobby of board games to kind of share some great educational moments that are happening for us and what you can expect and the impact that games are having for us. Now, these are different times right now for gaming. Plus, Josh and I probably have been able to play more games lately than we've been able to because I live in Texas and Josh, where in the world are you? I'm in Colorado. Yeah. Kind of hard to game yeah, from uh, yeah. multiple, uh, multiple states away. Yeah, it is. And the, so here's the interesting thing, Josh. I'm actually hearing from other podcasters. So like when I was listening to um, several of them, they were talking about, hey, I'm actually connecting with some people I haven't seen in a while because it's no different for me to play with you in Colorado than to play with somebody around the world, which is cool. Yeah, this that's actually been a, a really interesting experience for me, at least through this whole pandemic situation. Um, and so listeners, if you're coming and joining us um, from the future, um, we are recording this in the uh, global pandemic uh, of COVID-19. And so you know, I've really reconnected with my old game group from college and, uh, you know, some of them are back in Illinois where I grew up. Uh, one of them is doing his PhD out in West Virginia. And so we've all been able to kind of reconnect online playing board games digitally. Um, and then recently, uh, Bruce, you and I had a chance to sit down and, and play some games, which has been great. It's, uh, been a long time coming for us, I think. I agree. And on another note, Josh, like, although we can also connect with people far away, I'm also finding that this is an opportunity where I'm playing games with the people I'd normally play games with on a Tuesday or Sunday night, um, who live just a couple miles away, but we're able to do this and play these games, honestly, sometimes in a better way. Um, like, yes, we're missing out on some of the personal interaction, but we're going to talk about how we still communicate while we're playing, but like, we're not having to deal with all the management of things and like the tediousness of some games. So we're still getting the, it's not a board game, board game, but we're still getting some hallmarks of that experience of coming together. Um, and that's actually what we're going to be talking about today of like, how are we doing this? And what are, what are some of the games that Josh and I got to play recently together? Um, so with that being said, um, do you kind of, do you want to kind of just lay the foundation of where we're going to go from here, Josh, like kind of what we're going to talk about and then moving forward? Sure. So I, I had a couple of things to kind of think about as we're in this era of digital board game playing, um, first and foremost is is just kind of how are we going about this? How are we doing it? Um, You know, some things to think through uh, with your group as you kind of process through 
um, how you're going to manage this is how are you going to communicate with one another? Um, certainly there are, um, chat options in a lot of these games that we're going to be talking about, but if you want to really kind of connect with people, I think chat options are great when you're playing online with strangers and you're not really talking about too much else, but finding ways to, to verbally communicate with, with your friends is always nice. And it's to me, one of the most important parts about board gaming as a hobby is really connecting with the people that I'm playing with, um, as well as just kind of where to find games, what are, what's out there, um, what are the options? And then finally, what are some of the things that we've been able to, to connect with and play overall? So, um, Bruce, let's kind of start with the, the communicating and, you know, I really liked the way that we were able to set things up uh, this past week whenever we got a chance to play some games online. Can you kind of talk about that? Program? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you laid a wonderful foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Um, and so, Josh, you and I were on Discord. Um, and so Discord is an app. You can download it on your computer. So I actually have it because I have a Mac. Um, uh, and we'll talk more about that later. Um but I downloaded it from the app store, but I also downloaded it to my phone. Um, so it's essentially like a group messaging where you can have small channels within it. Um, and so we actually had a channel called Table One. Um, and we were all, all of us playing games the other day. We were in it. And we were all, it was like being on a group call from back in the day where like you would merge phone calls together um, like that. Uh, so it's not... Um, necessarily about all of us playing in the same game. So you can use this for other non-gaming related things of like, hey, we just want to talk about a thing and we don't want to share our numbers or those kind of things. And so it's a good way to connect about a, a topic. Um, so Discord um, has been phenomenal for that. It's free. Um, of course, you can add things onto it, but you really don't need to. The key, though, is having your group create a channel um, and communicating out that channel code to others because um, that's the access that's going to go there. So now how I found out about our, because apparently some of the people in our game group have had this Discord for a while. I just had never been on Discord. Um, I remember back in the day in college, like playing on what was like TeamSpeak and stuff uh, for like from when I was playing like Counter-Strike or things like that. Like this is seriously so much better than that. Um, but I found out about it because they actually messaged it in another one of our group things, and that's called GroupMe, which is owned actually by Skype um, recently. They recently acquired them, so good on GroupMe for that. Um, but GroupMe is essentially just one long, giant text message with everybody in it. That's really all it is. Um, so it's really not good for anything but just communicating over text and some pictures, but that's how we were able to inform people here um, to then do the next things. Um, and sure. if you're looking for like a hybrid of those two, um, you can also go with Slack. Um, so when I work some gaming conventions and stuff, we use Slack to communicate as a team. You can make calls through it. Uh, but actually, I'm on some uh, board game YouTubers. So like um, gaming rules with Paul Grogan and um, Heavy Cardboard and things like that. They all have their own Slack channels where people are communicating with each other. Hey, I'm playing this game now. Have gaming rules is over in the UK. So we're on very different timetables, but they'll post like, Hey, anybody want to hop in and play this game with me on any of these platforms that we're now going to talk about. Um, so yeah, it was cool. Um, one other thing about discord though, there was a point where we hit some confusion about what was going on and what was nice about it. It gave the ability to share one screen. Um, or share a picture of something. So I was, we were able to help each other navigate some through stuff. So that was good. 
sure. So one of the things that that I want to kind of touch on is that point with Discord and why I think Discord is one of the better services Agreed. for this. So Discord is a company, is a platform that was designed for gamers. It is designed for people who play video games, right? It is um, designed for people to stream. So one of the things I love, we use Discord. I use Discord most often for getting on with friends from New Orleans when I lived there. And we played Jackbox party games yeah. um, online from everybody's homes like once a week. And one person hosts the game. They can pop it up on their uh, Discord. They can stream it. We can all talk about it or talk while we're playing the game. And, and then everybody's using their phones or their own personal computers as a remote. So it's it's a really, really great platform for teaching, learning, and playing games. Um, now, my group back in Illinois, we've just been using Zoom because that's the thing that everyone has become very familiar with these days, um, which also works. It's It does. Um, it, it's perfectly manageable. The downside, I think, to Zoom is that you have a host uh, who, who has to be maintaining things and controls things. Um, great for business meetings, less great for gaming sessions honestly but josh it's like, definitely functional yeah i agree it's functional at the end of the day though i'm a little zoomed out so <laughs> and 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 discord is designed it's a it's honestly a prettier u- user interface um and it's definitely designed to like be more engaging than just like functionality which Absolutely. i like yeah um it's been i think it's been i think it worked really well um yeah and, and definitely looking forward to to now being a part of the uh, 12th Gamer yeah. uh, Discord channel, um, the the group back in Texas, I, I'm really looking forward to jumping on there and uh, chatting with folks um, when I'm not playing games. So mm-hmm. Discord remains open on my desktop pretty much at all times. So really looking forward to chatting and connecting with folks, um, so, even when we're not gaming. Right. And with that, so I encourage you, if you have a game group, if you don't have any of these things, make one. Um, they're free. Um, but also, if you're new to an area, look up on meetup.com or things like that and see and ask if they have these things. So that way you're able to connect with them in these meantimes. But now, Josh, let's talk about where we're finding games. Why don't you kind of lead us off with this? Absolutely. So the number one platform for all of this that we're going to talk about is going to be Steam. Um, so Steam, if you're unfamiliar, it is a platform... Uh, which you can purchase and download games digitally on your computer, really any type of game. But within the last couple of years, this has kind of been growing as companies have started to release digital adaptations of their games, um, which I think is fantastic. And it's kind of just in- increased exponentially um, over the last couple months. So... Um, a, a few companies and most of them have said like these have our projects that have been in the works for some time. We're just pushing them through quicker because this is how people are playing games right now. And we want to support the people who are um, playing board games and encourage people to continue to do that. So Steam is is a fantastic place to find um, kind of there. I, I 
I separate these into two categories. The first is a digital adaptation of a standalone game. So we'll talk a little bit about some of those that we've been playing. And there are some really great ones out there. There are some less than perfect um, adaptations out there in terms of um, user interaction. So UI, um, the, the ability of the player to really connect with um, what is happening on the screen with what they would be doing in the actual game if they were playing it on their tabletop. And the other is a simulator. Um, and we'll uh, come back to this a little bit later, but systems like Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia, which are designed as kind of a sandbox. Um, you can, uh, they're, they're designed for people to go in and build games into them, um, but it, it really relies on other people developing those um, games uploading them into the system to allow for other people to, to access them. Um, so let's, let's start with those standalone games. Sure. Um, Bruce, you have a couple, um, things you want to talk about in regards to some of the challenges you faced, um, getting into this as a Mac user. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just think it's good to know, um, that like what you're getting in for. So like I remember back in the day, like going into a store and like buying software off the shelves for games I wanted to play. Steam is essentially that store without a storefront um, and can hold infinite games. Um, so yes, pretty much all of these are there's pay to play, not pay to play, but pay to download it. Um, there are also free games on there as well. Um, and betas. So that's like, Hey, we're testing this thing out. You can do it for free or for minimal cost right now. It's going to be have more later. Um, but limitations. So every, every game in steam or every software for that matter in steam has little icons next to it. It might be the windows icon, might be the Mac icon, might be something else. Um, it's important to look at what those are, but then don't see them as just what they are. And what I mean by that is there's essentially three different categories. There's, if you have a windows device, you're pretty much good to play anything on here. Now, granted, you also have to have the processing power to do the best graphics and things like that. That's going to be across the board. I'm not going to get into that. Um, but if you have a Mac like myself, it gets more difficult. It's either not available to you and your logo is not going to show up. So don't purchase any of those things. It'll actually warn you, which is good. But then it might have the Mac logo. But if you are somebody like myself who keeps updating their Mac, so it's the latest software, not all of the games work on the latest Catalina software. Uh, if you're listening to this at the time of this recording, I think it's like Catalina 10.17. Um, and it doesn't work with the 32-bit games, but it works with the 64-bit games. So that's frustrating because it says it works on Mac, but then you get a warning when you click into the software that doesn't work on Mac. Um, and then there's ones that don't have that warning that have that Mac logo, and you are good to go. Now, the problem, though, Josh, is I've downloaded games that are good for Mac, but then new updates come out, and I can no longer play them. So that that's has happened, because... too. 
that's because people don't play games on Mac, Bruce. I know. I, 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 and I acknowledge this and I've never <laughs> been a giant video gamer for like PC gaming. I'm more like console devices, but yeah, you're 100% right, Josh. So I think that's why it was important to talk of like, here's the real strug because um, it is. And I feel yeah. bad that I can't connect with people as, in as many ways as others can. Yes. Um, just got to get a PC, Bruce. Yeah, I know. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But you know what? Macs maybe. are better for video editing, audio editing, things like that. So, hey, listeners, that's part of why I have a Mac. To each your own. I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Um, yeah. You know, I, I will say that that is a challenge for a lot of, uh, and, and I used to own a Mac. It's actually because of Steam that I switched to PC um, because I wanted to play more games. I, I in the last couple of years, have really gotten back into video games, something that I had kind of fallen by the wayside while I was in college. But I, um, I, I really haven't had as many issues as Bruce has because I have a PC. But it is definitely something to keep in mind as you're looking at things. Um, the other thing here that I've actually encountered more as an issue is the cross-platform multiplayers. Um, so, Bruce, why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So, uh, what, I just want to acknowledge how we discovered some of these things together. Um, so, I think we, what we did this past weekend was phenomenal. Um, after we played one game and we're talking to each other, we were all on Steam together exploring. And then when somebody found something cool, we would open it up and look at it. Is it going to work on all of our things? So I recommend doing that because it, it worked really well. Uh, but there's a thing you need to look for in Steam. Of, it'll say on like the right-hand column of whether it has cross-platform multiplayer, which means that if I have a Mac and you have it on your Switch... We can play together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how that works. There's another version of the same kind of wording where it says online player versus player. It's essentially the same thing, but different in that uh, for one of the games we're going to talk about, um, we had to create a profile on that company's website to then connect with each other through their servers. That's what that was. So you're mm-hmm. looking for either cross-platform multiplayer or online player versus player. And sometimes it lists both. So I was able to do cross-platform with Josh because I have a Mac, he has a Windows. But then we were also able to do online player versus player because we did it through that company server. Yeah, more often uh, the cross-platform is going to come into effect um, and have an impact when you have a player who is using a Switch. Um, Most, I don't know of any board games right now, at least, that are available for PlayStation or Xbox. Um, But there are more and more that are coming out on Switch. And so that cross-platform is really helpful if you you or one of the players in your group prefers to be playing on their Switch versus um, playing on a PC or or a a computer of some kind. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so what's nice about that, they wouldn't necessarily go through the Steam store. They would go through like the Nintendo store um, and the Nintendo shop. Um, So, yeah, so that's what's going on there. Um, But, Josh, I think you need to talk about your uh, multiplayer option. The one about multiplayer. uh, For for multiplayer, yeah. Yeah. So one one, uh, a, a quality example for why 
you need to pay attention to these um, icons or or this language when you're reviewing and and looking over a game that you're interested in. Uh, a group of friends and myself uh, a couple weeks ago were doing the exact same thing Bruce and I were last weekend, right? We had been playing a game together online, wrapped up, and we were just scrolling through Steam, looking at other options, things that maybe we wanted to play the week after or, or you know, if it was quick enough, try and get it in that night as well. And we came across uh, Gloomhaven, something that everyone in our group has wanted to play since it came out, but we've never really had the time or the dedication to to come back to that long of a game before right now is the perfect time for us to be playing something like gloomhaven yeah that's what my wife and Um, i are doing but in the board version yeah and i'm very jealous about that (laughs) because after we all went and got very excited and purchased gloomhaven for 25 dollars a copy for each person we got into it and realized we knew that it was in beta, not a problem. I don't mind purchasing a game that's in beta. Did not realize until we got into the game that multiplayer is not available in oh, beta. Oh, hurts. So hurts. the good news is we've all purchased it. It will come out with a multiplayer probably in the next three to six months is our guess. And when it does, we will be set up and ready to go when that happens you have planted seeds but as of right now we are able to play and learn the game a little bit through the beta that has set up for like single player modes but we aren't able to actually get together which is the point of all this right is to bring these groups of friends together in a time that we can't physically be together yeah. So very disappointing, but, um, you tried real hard Josh, and that's, that's the key. Sure. Sure. And <sighs> you know, the long and short of it is we're still getting plenty of good gaming in there. Eventually we will get to play Gloomhaven, just not quite yet. Yeah. Not quite yet. So speaking of Gloomhaven though, what did you just get? You told me you got a interesting little invite when we started yeah. recording. So right before we started recording, actually, I was uh, just touching base with a friend here in Colorado, one of the guys from my game group. We were kind of talking and debating as Colorado is starting to reopen a little bit. Do we want to explore having small gatherings of four to five people over at somebody's house? We're landing towards no right now. Um, But one thing that we did talk about, and I think we're going to start probably on Thursday is starting a game of Gloomhaven on the tabletop simulator platform. Yeah. Which is very different. It's a different storyline. There's no spoilers. You just get to learn about some of the characters, but it's adjacent to the regular story. No, 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 not the one. So no, I know I'm talking, I'm talking the one on steam. The, the one on Steam. Yeah, so you won't be spoiling your story for the one y'all just purchased. No. Which is good. No. So Tabletop Simulator, um, the the fun thing about this is 
So I really think Tabletop Simulator is a brilliant system, but it has its challenges. So Tabletop Simulator is actually a system that was developed for virtual reality. Um, it is designed with the idea that you are able to use your hands and the controllers in your hands to manipulate the environment you are playing. Um, like I said before, it is a um, sandbox style of game. And so you get, when you load up the game, you see a big table sitting in front of you. And then you can import the game that you want to play onto that table. And then you can manipulate all of the items. So unlike some of these other standalone games, which have the rule sets built into them, they teach you the game. They won't let you make illegal moves. They kind of solve some of the fiddliness that comes with tabletop gaming. They might even tabletop, have AI. Yes. Um, tabletop simulator does none of that for you. You still have to set it up. You still have to shuffle cards, deal cards. Um, you still have to manage your player board, um, and move your pieces around, which can be very difficult to do if you're not super familiar with the system and almost impossible if you're someone who Bruce, I think you've yeah. expressed this concern I have. has issues with motion sickness. Yeah, uh, it's a struggle. Um, I, I personally get kind of motion sick whenever I've been doing virtual reality stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I'm a scuba diver. Uh, I, I do that. Um, but like I'll get sick sitting in the backseat of cars. Um, like it's just something that has always affected me. It didn't used to. Now I'm not going to get too much into this, but it didn't really affect me until I was went on the Drake passage connecting Argentina to the Antarctic like in 15 years ago, which is the roughest waters on earth. And the water was coming up halfway up our boat, the icebreaker I was living on because it's where the uh, Atlantic and the Pacific meet. So it was a rough, rough time. And I don't, my body never fully honestly recovered from that. And that's a real shame, Bruce, because one of the beautiful things, so there are a couple really nice options out there and I'll walk you through both of them. Tabletop simulator is probably the most common. Yeah. And the reason for that is tabletop simulator. You pay $20, you download it, you have it. And then you have some DLCs that are available. So wingspan is an example of this. I went ahead and purchased it and it's, you know, I think they average about five, uh, three to seven dollars probably uh, for these uh, DLCs that are developed by the game publisher. So I have a copy of Wingspan for Tabletop Simulator that was developed by Stonemeyer Games. Um, but there is also a community hub in mm -hmm. Steam where other players can upload content that they've created for these games. And in Tabletop Simulator, that hub has pretty much every game you can think of. Um, if it is out there and available for you to pick it up and play it right now, there's a pretty good chance that it is available in Tabletop Simulator. Some of those are really good, high quality, 
Some of them are less so. So sometimes you have to weed through some not great systems um, and not great um, uploads to find the one that works for you. But you can pretty much get whatever you want. Mm -hmm. The other system that is becoming very popular is Tabletopia. Tabletopia works a little bit different. It is a free-to-download system that once you get it, you can either purchase games or purchase a premium pass, which is, I think, $10 a month. Yeah. Something like something that. Something like that. I kickstarted them back in the day, so I have like an unlimited pass. Like, again, so. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I've tried, and don't get me wrong, I've tried doing these things. Sure, sure. <laughs> Uh, Tabletopia, once you have that premium pass, they have a library of games. It's much smaller than what's available on Tabletop Simulator, but every one of those games is designed by a publisher. Right. And so they are much more high resolution in the pictures and artwork. They just look and feel a little bit better. I personally think Tabletopia is the nicer software to play with, especially if you don't have a VR set. But you do have that hurdle of having to pay a monthly premium. The benefit here in both of these games, actually. So Tabletop Simulator, you still have to pay the $20 to download no matter what. But if I have the Wingspan DLC, Bruce can play that with me without owning it. Same thing for Tabletopia. Like if a board game. I, yeah. If if Bruce owns an unlimited premium pass to Tabletopia, I don't have to pay for that. As long as I'm playing with Bruce, we can play any game that's available on premium. So mm-hmm. really, really great options. They're just difficult to manage. I need to acknowledge an elephant in the room on this, though. And that is that Outside of the ones that you pay for with Tabletop Simulator, not all of the other ones are authorized by those publishers to actually be there. Um, so you might see it there one day, and then Tabletop Simulator might get a cease and desist to take it down because it's infringing yeah. on copyright or things like that. So just know that um, Tabletopia, every play of the other ones, like the the games that are on there, that does. There's money that goes towards the publishers, designers, things like that. Um, just want to acknowledge if that's something that concerns you and you want to be considerate of that, just know that that's where the money goes. Um, and that's why the other ones don't have a cost. Um, so just want to put that out there. Yes. Excellent. Um, yeah, thank you for that, Bruce, because that is definitely something to consider, especially in a time that is certainly challenging financially for our, Publishers and designers, um, if you are really looking to support those folks, um, you know, paying for the copies off of Tabletop Simulator, paying for a subscription on Tabletopia, or purchasing the standalone games off of Steam are going to be the ways that you can best support these people Mm -hmm. while still playing the game in a meaningful way yep. that is not just buying it and having it sitting on your shelf 
as you wait for the pandemic to pass and yeah. resume normal gaming. Yeah. Um, so with that, Josh, let's talk about what we've actually been able to dig into. Um, mind if I kick it off? Have at it, Bruce. Very sure. excited about this. Me too. Um, so I, Josh and I have talked a lot about this publisher on this podcast before. Um, <laughs> we've even had episodes dedicated to just singular games of theirs. Uh, but this is... Scythe by Stonemeyer Games, so designed by Jamie Stegmeyer, super popular game. Um, in this case, though, it's actually developed by Asmodee Dig Digital, which uh, Stonemeyer is not owned by Asmodee, but Asmodee Digital is a company within Asmodee that's a phenomenal clearinghouse for these digital adaptations of board games. Um, so that stuff Josh was talking about of how can you the game these games will build in the user experience where it has like learning modes. It has artificial intelligence. It'll not let you do things that violate the rules um, and kind of help gamify that experience to make it enhance it, actually. So I've played Scythe a good number of times. So Scythe is a area control action selection game in which you have top actions, bottom actions. It takes place in like an alternative 1920s, um, a phenomenal art. Um, it, it, it is a very well-known game and it's a very great game to play in person as well. Um, I've played it at numerous player counts. I've never won until this last game. Um, I, I get my butt whooped. But with that being said, I actually think I've been able to learn more strategy and learn how to play the game better as a player because I've been able to play it in the digital adaptation by not having to worry about managing my stuff because the game will do that for me um, and kind of lets me focus in on strategy and understanding what's going on rather than everything that's going on. Um, so, Josh, I know I just kind of gave a quick synopsis there and pretty much my overall thoughts, um, but do you want to, like, speak into that? Like, so what's... Talk, tell about our game. Yeah, so Scythe, I've um, I've actually been playing the digital adaptation of Scythe for a while now, and and I Scythe is, uh, I'll just own it. Scythe is my number one game of all time. I love Scythe. I've invested more money into that game, more time into that game than anything else. Um, I love it. It's fantastic. It's great. Um, I love the digital adaptation. There is a little bit of fiddliness with the UI as you learn how to interface with this new system that doesn't always make the most sense. But I will say if you are and, and I will put this caveat out there for pretty much every one of these standalone games, play the tutorial of the game. When you first download it, almost all of these, if they're, especially if they're put out by Asmodee, they're going to have a tutorial. And the tutorial is going to walk you through a, your first game. And even if you know the rules, it allows you to learn the UI, Yep. Uh, which becomes incredibly important because there are things that you can miss in uh, learning the game. But... I really, I agree with you hundred percent on learning the strategy. Um, one of the things that I've actually used the Scythe digital for is I play if, if I'm on a flight 
and I don't have internet connection, um, this is actually the game that I play nine mm. times out of ten. Nice. Um, I can usually get in a game against the computer um, pretty w- within the length of a flight. And one thing that I really enjoy and appreciate about this is each one of those factions in Scythe has a unique play style that is going to allow you to be successful. And you really need to play with that faction several times before you really understand how that faction works, how that faction interacts with your player board, which isn't always the same. Yep. Um, And so I've really enjoyed learning the strategies for, for example, the Nords in Scythe. I've never won a game with. And so one thing I challenged myself to the last time I took a trip was to learn how to be successful playing as the Nords. And so I played it against the AI. I love it. It's great. Really, really enjoyed our game. I thought that was a fantastic um, setup. Normally not a big three-person or three-player count for Scythe. Um, I generally prefer prefer uh, four to five. Mm -hmm. But... I thought this was a fantastic um, digital adaptation. Um, it, it it works really well. Like you said, it manages everything for you. So one of the things that I often struggle with playing this game in person is remembering to get my money when I take a bottom action. Um, money is victory points at the end of the game. And so that's really, really important for you to remember. Um, one of the great things about this digital adaptation is it does all of that for you. Um, you don't have to worry about it. Um, now the downside to all of this is obviously the loss of the tactile feel. Um, scythe especially for me is a very, very tactile game. Uh, it's also difficult because you can't see the entire board on your screen at once. It can be really difficult to see where your opponents are placed um, because there is some combat involved inside because territory control is important for scoring. It can be really difficult to, to be like, oh, I need to move these people. Otherwise, Bruce is going to take all of my resources or I need to set myself up for control over this territory. Otherwise, somebody's going to come in and take this action that I really need Agreed. away from me. So that can be really that, that that's probably the biggest downside for me on this adaptation is the inability to see the entire board. But otherwise, I think it's fantastic. But I will counter that with, yes, I was having to scroll in and out a couple times to like zoom and it does highlight different colors who controls where. But unlike when I'm playing with somebody at the table, the bottom actions, if somebody has unlocked, uh, done the recruit action, so they get a bonus for when the people themselves and the people next to them take a certain bottom action, they might, when I've been playing around the table, I've played with people who just say, hey, I did a thing. But then they don't like make sure you know that where the game will just take care of that because then you'll get a bonus of popularity or money or things like that. So it guarantees you like that's not going to be an issue. 
Yeah. And I, I don't have to just, when I look across the table, I might not know how many things you actually have, where in this you can expand out this little display and you'll know exactly how much money they have. You'll know exactly how many XYZ they have, which I found helpful. One thing I will say, I think it is helpful, but I don't know that I like it, is that this adaptation has a point score tracker. Um, so you can, at any point in the game, click in and see exactly how many points each player has at this moment. And one of the things I love about Scythe is that it's really hard to do that. It's really mm-hmm. hard for me on turn five to say, well, I'm 30 points behind, so I'm just going to kind of give up on this game. Cause I have had that happen where a player, I think a lot of folks have, have had that experience where a player on halfway through the game says, there's no way for me to win. So I'm going to stop trying. And you know, that's really frustrating. One of the things I love about Scythe is it's impossible to really know that you're out of the game until the game ends. Yeah. And the reason for that listeners, if you haven't played Scythe, there's a popularity track and there's four, essentially four sections to that popularity track. Um, And if your popularity is within a zone, then that is denotes what multiplayer multiplier you get for like area controlled from, um, for resources for X, Y, and Z. Um, so it's really hard to figure that out, but I will also add in, yes, that can be defeating. Um, and I will also recommend y'all. Sometimes it's not about winning. Sometimes it's about just being there with people. Um, and you might be focused in on winning where they might just really need a friend to play a game with. So I'm just going to remind ourselves of that. Um, But I actually, from my lens, from understanding the game at a deeper length, I actually will go into that score calculator, which just shows the numbers. And I click the advanced um, or the detail view, which breaks out in parentheses all the score manipulations. And I found that really helpful for me because I've been able to better understand the things I can do and the, how things are going to score. So that way I can make more informed choices. Now, as I advance, that's going to become more intuitive to me. Um, but when I was playing the other game, I was so focused on learning the actions where it was hard for me to understand how those actions are going to translate to the points at the end. So this kind of helps meet me in the middle there. I, can I, see I will both say sides. that this, this adaptation is probably one of the better ones that I have experienced of improving your strategy and your ability to play the um, physical copy of this game. Yeah. Um, You know, I think it's fantastic. I really, really, I strongly recommend it. I think it's, it's been a while since I bought this, but I think I got it for eight or nine dollars. It's really reasonably priced. Um, I got it with the expansion that adds in five to six players. And I think it was like 12 99. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's perfectly worthwhile um, investment. If if this is your type of game, really, really recommend this. And pro tip: if you're new to Steam, put things in your wish list, and then Steam will email you when they go on sale. Yeah, just gonna put that out there. Absolutely. So yeah, so, so we were playing that. It was a lot of fun. But then Josh, you and I went on this, and and Justin went on this like discovery of see what else we can find, and you found a thing. I did find a thing and 
I am probably more excited about this find than anything else that I found in digital adaptations to date. Um, we found a digital adaptation of Age of Steam uh, on the, this is going to get confusing now, on the Steam store. <laughs> this yeah. is known as... That's what I wanted you to do this. That's why I put it to you. <laughs> <laughs> on the Steam store, Steam or Age of Steam is known as Steam Rails to Riches. Um, so that's what you need to look for if you are looking for this digital adaptation. Steam Rails to Riches. Uh, Bruce, I believe you've spoken uh, a little bit about Steam on this uh, a podcast in the past. Mm-hmm. But for listeners who may not have heard that episode or newer listeners, Steam is an older design. Um, I think it came out in 2002. Yep. Uh, designed by one of my favorite designers, Martin Wallace, um, who also designed Brass, which Bruce and I spent way too long talking about a couple weeks ago. So strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that fantastic episode. Hey, it's long, but we talked about two different games. We did. We did. Uh, and did a deep dive into both of them. But Steam is not Brass, though it is very, very similar. Um, Steam, I would describe Steam as the bare bones version of brass. Mm. Um, It is distilled down into its most essential parts, which is building connections between cities and transporting goods across those lines to satisfy demands within those cities. Mm-hmm. that's essentially what brass is. Brass just is a lot more complex in terms of how you're doing that and you're manufacturing the goods, not just shipping them. Anyway, this is not a conversation about brass. This is about steam. Steam is a fantastic game. And I thought that this, I've never played steam before, but I thought this was a wonderful digital adaptation. Bruce, as someone who's played Age of Steam on in in real life, what is your impression of, yeah. of the digital adaptation here? So again, listeners, if you haven't heard me talk about this, I was going through the BGG library at BGG Con last November and saw this game on the shelf and it looked real pretty and, it, and I picked it up. I'll be honest, it just looked nice. And I was like, what is this? And I saw art by Ian O'Toole. And it was Age of Steam because this is the deluxe edition of Age of Steam. Um, And I really enjoy Age of Steam for, and and we talked about this in the cutthroat aspect uh, in the Brass episode and how I like Brass Lancashire. Age of Steam really brings, makes me have to make meaningful choices. And I enjoy, plus there's a, some interesting satisfaction in making railroads. Um, like when I was growing up, my brother, who's nine years older, like we had a like train tracks in our basement and he had like the little miniatures and all that kinds of stuff. Um, and so I grew up having little railroads around. My grandfather was a civil engineer too. And so 
I had this fascination of, oh, let's actually figure out how to make these networks efficient. But then at the end of the game of Age of Steam, you're actually wanting to make the least efficient path so you can get the most money because it spends more time on your rails. Um, so going into this, I'm like, okay, this is going to be cool. Josh hasn't played this. I need to teach him. So I gave him a quick rundown, and then that immediately went off the rails um, because Steam Rails to Riches has two modes of play. That is not the case with Age of Steam. Um, and we I just clicked basic. Um, and within that, what it was is actually it cuts out some of that cutthroat element because in regular Age of Steam, you have at the beginning of a round, depending on player count, you play X number of rounds. At the beginning of a round, you have to issue shares or can issue shares, which is the only income you get. And if you didn't take enough out, then you're most likely going to slide closer and closer to bankruptcy and you're out of the game. With this version, what it did is it didn't give you that income. What it does, and you don't have to take out shares, is depending on the actions you take, including how expensive it is for you to build a railroad across a mountain versus planes, which by the way, yeah, it'd be more expensive to build it across a mountain or a river. Um, it will just decrease your what would be your income which will then translate into points. So there is no player elimination in the basic version we were playing. So it took a, I will say that it took, I was, I was trying to wrap my head around like, so what is going on in this game? I had some equilibrium loss of, I had to refigure out what was going on in the game. Um, that being said, I could, we could have backed out, hit the switch and played the way I was going. But honestly, I, now that I've played it, I really enjoyed this other method of play. Um, because it kept like it kept once we all figured out the user interface, which you're going to have that like we talked about with Scythe, you're going to have to learn the user interface of any game you're playing. I really enjoyed it. Now, does that mean that we fully knew what we were doing in the beginning? No, we didn't. Did did we immediately and Josh, you say I immediately want to play this again? Yes, you did. <laughs> and were you also but did you follow that up with do I know where I messed up? I think so. <laughs> yes. So if I really enjoyed it, I'm really curious to hear because you hadn't played it at all. What what was the overall experience like playing in this game mode and going in? So again, I will echo something I said earlier. When you boot up a game, they are going to offer you a tutorial. We skipped Play it. the tutorial. We skipped it. We skipped the tutorial on this. So figuring out the UI was a little difficult, but the second I got the UI down and I understood the basic concept of the game is you want to connect these cities and then transport goods between them, it started to click. And the second it started to click, I, you know, the first probably three turns of the game, and this is a 10-turn game, so not an insignificant amount. I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just doing things and hoping that it works out in my favor. And, you know, I, I, I really, that's not to say that I wasn't having fun. I was, I just didn't know what, what the purpose of these actions were going to be. And it was very funny because Bruce kept making comments like, Oh, that's a really good move. I'm like, okay, I don't know. Maybe it is. I was freaking not. the heck out of like, did I just have them all buy this thing and they hate it? No, that's what I, was going could be before we learned how to play. I was freaking out that I just let us down a path. 
just to put that out there. Sure. And, and that's going to happen with any new game. The beauty of this is that you're not spending 60 to $120 on a physical copy of a board game. We spent $8 on yep. a digital copy. And, you know, if I'm out $8 on a game that was okay for the first time, okay, not a big deal. I love this game. I was over the moon. I immediately went and after cooking dinner, went back and started playing single player. I taught myself the standard mode, which is the mode that Bruce was um, saying he is used to playing. And just a comment on that. I, I did a little bit of research digging in the reason why this basic game exists. Um, that actually goes back to the 2002 version of huh. steam. Um, so when steam was first published, there was this basic version, kind of a learner game version of the game before you got into um, the full length copy of uh, edition. And so I would play either way. I personally think actually the b issuing shares and doing all that completely changes the game, but in a really, really good, interesting way. I'm really looking forward to playing more of this. And, and Bruce, I, I hope that even once this pandemic clears and life resumes some form of normalcy, that we can continue to get together online and play some of these things because this is a game, this is one of those examples of a game that I think while it'd be a lot of fun to play in person, it'd also be really frustrating to play in person. Um, just because you're trying to figure out, okay, who has control over what track and what are the things that you need to understand, it it can become very confusing. I, I can tell just by playing it that playing in person, there are a lot of there's a lot of fiddliness to this game. It really is up to the players to make meaningful choices. But Oh man, those those choices are yeah. so y'all so rich and and so meaningful. Every decision, every action that you're taking has not only impacts the turn that you're on, but has implications for turn the, 10. Yep, the rest the, of the, the game. The decision that you make on your first round is really going to impact the actions that you are taking on turn 10 and how you're going to, and everything in between. Like I, oh man, mm -hmm. immediately upon, you're right. Immediately after we finished our game, I said, here are the key mistakes that I made. And I got my butt stomped the, <laughs> the first game. I, I will own that. Um, but immediately I was like, okay, turn two. This is the things that I did that messed me up for the rest of the game. I want to go back. I want to play and fix those mistakes. What I like though is Justin. He did mm -hmm. some actions in the very beginning that kind of set him astray for a while, but then he was a, he actually made some killer freaking moves and he, I won at 63 points and he was at 60 at the end of the game. 
So like he set himself up to seriously catch up within this as we were learning. But like, yeah, the choices you make are super meaningful, um, but there's still opportunities. And that's kind of why I like the other version. Um, don't get me wrong. I really want to play the traditional version with you. Um, but I think for this online environment, this this basic version was really, really great. And it was great for teaching the basics of the game, right? It is really, really helpful because I could definitely see being really frustrated by not taking enough shares mm-hmm. and not having enough money to do the actions that I wanted to take. Yeah. I could 100% see myself being really frustrated and not enjoying the game if that's how I learned. Yeah. But having that kind of forgiveness of you're not issuing shares, you're just kind of taking the loans as you need them and that's fine. That I think made it really easy to learn. Okay. Here are the concepts of this game. Here's what things are going to cost me. Now, when I go back and I play that standard version, okay, I know exactly how much money this turn is going to cost me. Correct. And so I need to plan for that. I don't know that I would have made that connection learning a first game. So what I loved, though, what I loved, and, and I talked about this a second ago, I love how it makes me try and perform and make meaningful choices. That being said, that also means that you can snipe things out from other players. Not like hate draft, but you can make a decision slightly before they do that throws their other plan off. And there was a moment towards the end of the game that I could not stop laughing. I couldn't. I couldn't. It, it totally it screwed you over. I know that. If you want to describe it, it was gr- I I couldn't stop myself from laughing. It was like, oh. So I'm I may be getting games confused. Are you referring to uh the the Sorry, go ahead and, and tell sure. me what So you're, essentially what you're we're in the last round of the game. The board is pretty built up and Josh is going right after Justin. And there's only so many places and Josh had this track going towards the city and Justin just built right across uh, in front of him where he couldn't build that way anymore nor was going to get to that city and like y'all it was like not a table flip moment but just like a oh like it was like the it, it was just so fun and like we just had it created a good memory. That's what I'm trying to get to. Like, yes, this game was probably the most board game esque digital game I've played. Yes. Um, but what I believe is that a good game, especially a board game, is good when you're playing it with other people, is going to create memories, mm-hmm. moments of time that you're going to look back on and say that was an amazing time, or like that was some really good choices, or like any of these things. Um, and that's what's part of what's great about board games and this really pulled that out because it made us actually invest and engage with the game. Yeah. And so the, the reason why I um, am confusing things is because as I said, I immediately went back and started playing against the AI and the AI taught me some really interesting things. And very similarly, last turn of the game, 
I had established a really, really nice path. I took the action, which allowed me to place two new cubes, which I was going to be able to score six points off of each of those cubes. That's a big deal. Set myself up beautifully. And the AI came in after me and built a loop around my path so that they could take one of those cubes and score themselves six points. And so, yeah, there's some really, really fun ways to interact with you're you're really doing your own thing. But the player interaction in this is really subtle, but really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's no surprise that Age of Steam is a game is for many one of their top games, if not their top game. Um, I know it is in my top games. I own every well, no, scratch that. There's another set of boards I need to buy that just came out. But I own uh, up to this point, I owned every map for it and I've only been playing it since November. So that says a lot. Um, But with all that being said, we yes, we dove deep into Scythe and Age of Steam and talked about how we're connecting. And we just want to remind everybody just to connect with people. Josh, I think it's important that we just kind of, how about we hop on over to games and we start like um, wrap up the podcast and start playing different things. Sound good? That sounds perfect. So uh, Josh, what are you going to do tonight? So immediately after I jump off here, actually in about eh, 10 minutes, I'm supposed to be uh, joining up with some, my friends from Illinois for a quick game of terraforming Mars digital adaptation also produced by asthma day. Uh, really, really good ad- adaptation as well. Don't have time to talk about it today. Not available on Mac. <laughs> not available on Mac. Really looking forward to it. Um, Bruce, we're going to have to reconnect for some more steam ah. um, in the near future, though. That's okay. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, um, anything to close out for the listeners? Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, we hope beyond all hope that you are doing well, um, safe, happy, healthy, um, and most importantly, enjoying some games. Yeah. And so with that, we, uh, like Josh said, we hope that you're having amazing experiences. We encourage you to go out and try these things out. This might be new for you, but hey, it's a low investment that might yield a lot of results. Um, if anything, make sure to download or utilize some of those communication apps to connect with others, connect with friends, connect with family, because I know we could all use that. Um, if this was helpful for you, do rate it as a five star in the podcast app so that way more people can discover this content. Um, and we look forward to engaging with you more. And thank you, of course, to our phenomenal Patreon backers for making this show happen um, and just helping us in all this time as we all continue to grow, learn from these experiences and make ourselves better um, and learn some new lessons along the way. Like Josh said, just when we get through this, we don't have to stop doing these things. So I look forward to continuing to connect. So until next time, go have a positive impact on the world. We'll see you next time.